If I were to ask you to come up with a list of what is wrong with America, my hunch is you could come up with a list pretty quick. And somewhere on your list would be an item that would read something like this. Maybe not these exact words, but something like this. It would go, if those people would just see things my way, we could get this country straightened out. We all have this <laughs> built-in assumption that what we see and the way we see is the correct way to see. There's actually a term for this. It's called confirmation bias. What we do is we tend to listen to a news channel that agrees with us. And we tend to associate with people that agree with us. And we tend to cluster with these people. And so we just reinforce our opinions, even if our opinions are wrong. We just keep reinforcing them. Now, my hunch also is, if I were to ask you what is right with America, you could come up with a list of what's right. But here's my hunch, and I don't know if this is true, but I think it is. It might take you a little longer to come up with what's right with America than what's wrong with America. Because that's the way we are. We tend to see the flaws. We tend to see what's wrong more than we see what is right, what's good, what's healthy. Well, today, I want to talk to you about what is right and what is wrong with America. And I want to assure you, I'm not trying to pursue any partisan politics. I'm not trying to push a political agenda. But as 4th of July approaches, I was really struck by Proverbs 14:34 and, and the wisdom in this verse. And even if you're not a religious person, I think you have to agree that what this verse in the Bible says is really true. So here's the first line of the verse. It says, righteousness exalts a nation. Now, there's three important words in that first line. The first is the word righteousness. And this, of course, means that there is a definition of what actually is right. Now, none of us like being told, this is what you have to do because it's the right thing. We instinctively want to rebel. We, we instinctively will say, well, who are you to tell me what is right? And if you need proof of this, how many of you have ever been told by a doctor the right thing to do and then not done it? Don't raise your hands. It's just part of our human nature. Well, Jesus' followers believe that everybody is flawed. We call that sin. And Thus, we say we are not only flawed people, we are sinners. And we're not trying to put anybody down when we say that. We're just trying to describe reality. And because we are all flawed, we recognize that flawed people will have flawed ideas about what is right. The only being we can trust to teach us what is really right is God. Because we believe that God is perfect that God doesn't make mistakes, and if God says something right, even if we don't agree with it, it's still right. So righteousness belongs to God. When a nation does what God says is right, it exalts a nation. And this is the second key word, exalt. It means to lift up. It means to hold up high. When a nation does the right thing, it is an accelerant. It helps the nation thrive. And of course, the last word is nation, which can also be translated people. People 
make up a nation. Therefore, the values of people determine the values of a nation. So this first phrase, first line, a nation that's doing the right things is going to be lifted up and it's going to be doing the right things because the people of the nation are doing the right things. Now the second line says, but sin condemns any people. Now, there's something interesting going on in this verse. Um, and to really help you understand this, I need to teach you a little Hebrew, and I need to teach you some English grammar. So can everybody promise they'll stay awake for the next three minutes? Okay, so here's, here's the deal. If you read this, you come to the first word in the verse, and the first word is hesed, and it means love. And so the first thing you read is the love of people, sin. And you go, well, that doesn't make any sense. Do you know what a homonym is? A homonym is a word that sounds like and can be spelled like another word that has a different meaning. Okay, so a word sounds like, spelled like, has a different meaning. I'll give you an example. The word fair, F-A-I-R. Fair can mean appearance. She has a very fair appearance. Fair can mean festival. We're going to go down to county fair. Fair can mean reasonable. Well, I think that's fair. Fair can be about the weather. Uh, we expect fair skies today. It's the same word, four different meanings. The word hesed means committed love, but it also can mean shame and reproach. This is the art of whoever wrote this proverb that they start out and you read it and you go, the love of people, sin. Well, that doesn't make any sin. Oh, oh, it's the other meaning. The shame of people is sin. So, so what is the writer of the proverb telling us? It's, it's a play on words. When people love sin, it brings shame. Sin becomes a drag, a weight on a nation. So with this verse as a reference point, I want us to think about what is right with America and what is wrong with America. And again, these are just my opinions, and if you don't agree, I, I certainly respect you for that. But I think one of the things that is right with America is we are blessed. This country is a blessed nation. Our founding fathers, and, and whether they were Christian the way we understand Christian or not, it's not really for us to say, but they all acknowledged that God was doing something unique on this continent. Sometimes they talked about providence. They recognized it was truly a miracle that this small band of revolutionaries were able to build, were able to defeat the world's first, or one of the world's first superpowers, Great Britain, and, and, and we are a nation that is blessed. We are blessed materially. We are blessed to be strong. And, and I'll prove it to you. If I gave you $10 million and told you you had to live in Somalia the rest of your life, would you take the deal? I don't think you would. I don't think you would. We live in the greatest country on the planet right now. And it's interesting to me that even when we're in a crisis, we know we need the blessing of God. Do you remember the night of 9-11? 
when Republican and Democratic congressmen stood on the steps of the Capitol and sang, God bless America? It's like we knew we can't get through a crisis unless God blesses us. We are a blessed people. Let me tell you a second thing I think that's right with America. We will fight evil. That doesn't mean we fight every evil in the world, but we will fight it. The three great evils that have swept the world in the last 120 years are fascism, Nazism, and communism. And America has gone to war to fight these evils. Now, not every war that we have fought has been what we would call a just war. I'm not going to pretend that all the wars that we have fought have been righteous. But in general, when Americans become convinced there is evil in the world, we are willing to go to war to fight that evil. Here's the third thing I think that's right with America. We make room for courage. That's part of what it means to be the land of the free, the home of the brave. Now, I know some of you who are Atlanta Braves fans think that it means land of the free and home of the Braves, but no, home of the brave. It means we honor people who have the courage to speak even if they are in the minority. This is a picture of a man named Henry Ward Beecher. Uh, he, from 1850 to 1880, was known as the most famous man in America. He was a preacher. And from his pulpit in Brooklyn, New York, he preached against slavery. He preached for abolition of the institution of slavery. And America listened. Most historians agree he was one of the most influential people in turning public opinion against the idea of the peculiar institution of the South. And America made room to listen to him. This is a picture of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And even though civil rights was not widespread popular, was not popular in a widespread sense, America made room to listen to him when he said, I have a dream that one day my children will be judged not based on the color of their skin, but on the content of their character. America makes room for courageous people. And we listen to them. Let me tell you something else I think that's right with America. We still hold to the rule of law. Now, this is not always true in our history. Even today, there are still too many incidents of gun violence, shootings, mass shootings, lynchings are not that far in the past. Acts of domestic terrorism, sure, all those things are true. But most of us, most of us still believe that laws are good and we should obey those laws, even when we don't agree with them. Even when we think the speed limit should be 90, we still understand the need for law. Now, I could go on and on. But I want you to understand these four things, these four things, the ideas behind them are rooted in the Judeo-Christian ethic. What is the Judeo-Christian ethic? It is this system of thought that rises from the Bible. And it's the idea that ultimate truth in Scripture has underpinned some of the things that are most important in our country, some of the things that are right with America. For example, the idea that we're blessed. 
Well, that comes from the Bible, that God blesses people. The idea that, that we will fight evil, well, that's what Jesus came to do when he died on the cross. He came to defeat evil. The idea that we make room for courage. Jesus wants us to be people of courage. Go make disciples, he tells us. The idea that we obey what God teaches us, that's all about following Jesus and doing what he says to do, even when we don't understand or agree. These, these ideas... This is what's right with America, and it comes from the pages of our scriptures. Now, what's wrong with America? I really just want to talk about one thing, and that's we love our sin. We love our sin. And it, it drags us down. Remember when I, I ask you, you know, what is what's going on in in your mind when you think about what's wrong with America, and you can quickly point the finger to somebody else. But don't you remember Jesus said this line in the Sermon on the Mount? How can you take out the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a beam in your own eye? In other words, people make up a nation, and a nation reflects its people. And so if there is sin in America... That means there must be sin among its people, and that means we have to look at ourselves. And if we're not looking at ourselves, if we're just pointing to other people, the problem is you people, then we're not doing our part to be a righteous nation. So a couple of expressions of this that I see going on in the world right now. Right now, uh, we believe power is more important than truth. We believe power is more important than truth. And, and Jesus has this interesting interchange with Pilate. Pilate is the ultimate politician. He's interested in government power. He knows Jesus is not a king, but he asks him, are you a king? And, and Jesus has this odd answer. He says, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to gain power. That's not what it says. The reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. Pilate says, look, I want to know, are you a threat to the state? Are you a threat to my political power? Are you a threat to Caesar? Jesus is saying, I didn't, I'm not even interested in that. I'm interested in truth. And then Jesus says something is so vital. To be on the side of Jesus is to be on the side of the truth when it comforts you and when it confronts you. Meaning Jesus' truth ought to make you uncomfortable on a regular basis. And here's what I know about us. We don't, we don't like to be uncomfortable. The number one selling chair in America is not truth seat. It is lazy boy. Has God's truth made you uncomfortable lately? If not, why not? You're not listening? If so, well, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to change? What's your next step? Let me share just one more expression of how I think we love our sin. In our country right now, we have this mindset, I get to decide what is right for me. I hear people talk from time to time, this is my truth. 
This is, my, this is what's true for me. Uh, let's understand, truth is truth, whether it's for you or against you, whether you like it or not, it's still true. What most people are actually talking about is their viewpoint. This is the way they see things. That's different than truth. You particularly see this in our culture now in the area of sexuality. We tend to believe that we're defined by our sexuality. And people are saying, hey, this is what is right for me. So in our, our culture today, we value sexual experience more than we value sexual purity. We value what you may feel internally, emotionally, than we do in terms of what is healthy, what is good. We're actually telling people, hey, if you're, if you're eight, nine, ten years old and you have a same-sex attraction thought, that means you're gay for life. We, we actually have said what's most important about you, what defines you is your sexual orientation. And Jesus weeps. Because Jesus says the most important thing about you is not your sexual orientation. You are more than your sexual orientation. Jesus says the most important thing about you is that you're broken. And I've come to redeem you. I've come to heal you. You know, there's a lot of sexual trauma, a lot of sexual hurt out there. But there is no sexual trauma or hurt that is greater than the grace of Jesus. He can heal and forgive. He wants to do that for you. I could go on and on, right? I could tell you more about what is wrong with America. But my hunch is you can make your own list. So, so what do we do with this? Well, I, I think there is a clue in what Jesus says. When Jesus says to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world, Jesus is reminding all the people who follow him that they belong to a different kingdom, that they have a different set of values, that they have a different authority. Jesus' followers do not look to a politician or a political party to solve their problems. They believe Jesus is the answer. And so I think if that's our mindset as Jesus followers, there's five things we can do. Number one, we can pray. We can pray. Prayer is our most powerful weapon, our most powerful tool. And yet it's amazing to me how few of us use this. We can pray for our country. And I want you not just to pray, Lord, be with America, but, but think in terms of praying for our leaders. Pray for our president, whether you voted for him or not. Because he needs our prayers. He needs God's leadership. He needs God's guidance. Pray for our government leaders. How about also praying against greed? Do you think our country would be more righteous if we were less greedy? I appreciate an amen there, but that's okay. Okay, do you, how, about, how about pray against racism? Pray against hate. What would happen if we began to truly pray? Do you, you think it would work? Will Willman uh, is a Methodist pastor, and he pastored a church in Greenville in the late 60s, early 70s. And there was a group of older women who came uh, every Sunday, or not every Sunday, every weekday, one day in the week, and they prayed. And they prayed for the sick, but they also prayed for their country. They prayed for America. And this being the 60s and the 70s, they prayed against communism. 
Because they knew that communism had a way of, of pressing people down. So they prayed that God would cause the fall of communism. Well, fast forward a couple of decades. Will is now the dean of the chapel at Duke University. The Soviet Union collapses. One of Will's colleagues comes to him and says, you know, I really think the economic pressure and power of the United States caused the collapse of the Soviet Union. And Will said, you know, there was a group of older ladies in my church in Greenville that prayed every week for the fall of communism. I think they might have had something to do with it too. Pray for your country. So here's what I want to ask you to do. This week, will you pray for America? Real simple, just pray. Hey, even if you're not sure about the whole prayer thing, why don't you try it? Why don't you try it? Let's see what happens if God's people really pray for our country. Here's the second thing we can do. We can speak the truth. We can speak the truth. Interesting, this is my opinion. I think in our country today, the media is not so much interested in truth as they are in dollars. I think our schools are not as interested in truth. I think our government is not as interested in truth. And who does that leave? It leaves us. Jesus followers. And this is not just for preachers. I think this is for everybody. That we ought to say we are people of the truth. And we're going to be people of the truth when it's comfortable for us and when it confronts us. So, um, would you agree it's wrong to lie? Okay, once again, this is where I wish there was a little more congregational interaction because it makes me worried. Yeah, it's wrong to lie. What would happen if Jesus' followers would write or call their congressman when they lied? I know some of you think, well, I'd be on the phone every day. But just think with me. Even if, even if they're in our party, what would happen if we actually would call their office and say, hey, I just want you to know, I know the congressman wasn't telling the truth and I really don't approve of that. Thank you very much. You're going to talk to an intern. But let me tell you, politicians pay attention to that stuff. Could it maybe have a small impact on America? Which government leader do you need to write or call and tell them, hey, I just want you to tell the truth? <laughs> well, let's start small. Let's start with one. How about... All right, here's the third thing we can do. We can care for those who are harmed by government action. Our government is big, it is powerful, sometimes it is clumsy. That means innocent people get hurt. Sometimes there are unjust laws that hurt people. And what we decide is that as Jesus followers, our loyalty is first to Jesus and then to whatever political party there is. So we're going to care for people like Jesus would. One of the great people that I loved very much uh, in our church who's gone to be with the Lord was a guy named Bob Reagan. Bob was a diehard Republican. And, uh, you know, he made no bones about it. and Most everybody knew it. But Bob also went every week to the Sumter County Jail to do Bible study with the prisoners. And Bob and I were close enough that I asked him one time, I said, Bob, let me just be honest with you. Most Republicans... They don't go to the jails to do Bible studies. So why do you? He said, because I follow Jesus first 
and I'm a Republican second. It's like, yes. And, and I think this is part of what we do. We, we look for the least of these, and we say, how can we care for them? So that means we care for the unborn. That's why we support the Sumter Crisis Pregnancy Center. We care for the children. That's part of why we do VBS. We care for the prisoners. We care for the foreigners. And if you need a complete list of who the least of these are, look in Matthew 25. Jesus will give you the list. Are you doing anything to serve the least of these? I, I think we can also love fiercely. Jesus gave us a couple of commands. He said, I want you to love your neighbor no matter how they vote. I want you to love your enemy. Your enemy is anybody who irritates you. Your list just got longer, didn't it? I want you to love these people. That means love cannot just be an emotion. It has to be an intention. And you've got to figure out how to love people that are not like you. Before Andy Stanley became pastor of uh, his church, he worked on the staff of his dad's church. His dad's Charles Stanley at First Baptist Church of Atlanta. And that time, First Baptist Atlanta was on Peachtree Street in Midtown Atlanta. And First Baptist Atlanta was known for being a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. And so the organizers of the Atlanta Gay Pride Parade decided that they would apply for a permit and do a parade down Peachtree Street on Sunday morning. And they wanted to be right in front of First Baptist Atlanta when the service let out. They were going to make a statement. Well, naturally, this threw the church leadership into an uproar, and the church leadership got up that Sunday morning and said to everybody, okay, the gay pride parade is in front of the church. We want all of you to go out the back. And so the whole church starts trying to jam through two small doors at the front of the sanctuary, go out the back. But Andy, being Andy and being the preacher's son and being on staff, decided he wanted to see what the gay pride parade was all about. So he went out the front. He hid in the bushes. And he said he saw something that astounded him. The church across the street, they had set up a table and they were giving water to the people who were marching in the gay pride parade. And then he said, it hit him. Where would Jesus be? Sneaking out the back door or handing out water? We need to love fiercely. Who do you disagree with that you need to love? One last thing, and this is the most important. We can offer new citizenship. And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Do you know that CNN and Fox News want you to be anxious? They do. Because if you're anxious, you'll keep watching. And if you keep watching, their numbers will go up. They can charge advertisers more. They can make money off of your anxiety. Jesus said, do not worry. How do you do that? You remember you're a citizen of a different kingdom. You already know how this turns out. No matter what happens in today's news, Jesus wins.
no matter what happens in today's news, Jesus wins. Yes, there may be setbacks, and yes, things may get a little tough for us, but hey, Jesus, Jesus is going to win. And Jesus does not want you to live a life consumed by anxiety. He wants you to have a peace that passes understanding. And you can only have that peace when you say, okay, my citizenship is with Jesus. I want to be in God's kingdom. I want to live by God's values, God's rules. I want Jesus to forgive my sin. I want to follow Jesus and go where he leads me. That, that's what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Now, if you have decided to follow Jesus, regularly remind yourself you're a citizen of a different kingdom. Let me give you this rule of thumb. Spend as much time in the Bible as you spend watching the news. Some of you say, well, I don't know if I can spend three or four hours. Turn the TV off. Read the Bible. A lot of you. Maybe a lot of you online. You may realize you're not a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You know about Jesus, you know about God, but you're not living by his values. You're not following Jesus. So today, you need to intentionally begin that relationship. You need to say, I want Jesus to forgive my sins. I want to do life with God. So let me ask you, today, do you need to accept Jesus as your Savior, Lord, and King? You can do that today. Invite him into your life. Let him change your life. Because the values of a people determine the values of a nation. Will Campbell, one of my heroes, tells a story about the 1960 sit-ins in Nashville. Some of you studied about this in history. Some of you remember it. When young African-American students would go into lunch counters of dime stores, for those of you who don't know what a dime store is, dime stores were Walmart before Walmart. So, they would go to these lunch counters and they would sit and ask to be served. Most seating, most restaurant establishments in the South were segregated. They were trying to desegregate these establishments. So in Woolworths, in downtown Nashville, in February 1960, there's a group of young African-American college students. They go in, they sit down, and there is a young man there who's very angry about this. He's white. He goes up to a young African-American female seated at the lunch counter and spits on her. And there is an older woman in the store. She has gone to buy an egg poacher. She's got her egg poacher, and she sees this. She could have walked away, but she is a member of a Methodist women's prayer circle. I know some of you think today I'm just talking about Methodists, but that's just the way the stories go today. And she goes up to this young man and said, young man, I have a grandson your age. I bet you have a sister. How would you feel if somebody spit on your sister? And she waved her egg poacher in his face. Don't mess with a grandma with an egg poacher. And the young man backed down. Melted back into the crowd. And then came this big, rough guy, and he had a jar of clear liquid, and he said, this here's carbolic acid. I'm going to pour it on the head of one of those one of these students, except he didn't say that. And the lady with the egg poacher came back and stared him down. Stared him down. 
little old grandma with her egg poacher and said, why? Why? Why in God's name are you doing this? And he backed down. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns any people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that too often we love our own sin. It's so easy to point out other people's sins. But Father, we pray for your forgiveness for our sins and the sins of our nation. Help us all to love righteousness. Make sin sour in our souls. And Father, for those today who are citizens of the kingdom that we, we just forget, would you remind us our hope's in Jesus? Our hope is in Jesus. And Father, for those who've never yet taken that next step of, of following Jesus, of putting their trust in him, I pray that today they would. They would accept him as Savior, Lord, King, ruler of their lives. And I ask all of this in the wonderful, powerful name of Jesus. Amen.